Thomas, before we get started on the show today, I just thought it was worth mentioning that we have already started seeing some feedback from our first episodes, which is encouraging. Yeah, great. So I pulled this off the web. Adam, relentlessly entertaining, five stars. So that's good. That's great. And then further down the page, even for an economist, Thomas banged on a bit much about the economy, two stars. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, two mm. stars. This is a bit harsh. Where, where's that coming from? Uh, it was on a website I found called podcastselfassessment.com. <laughs> so, right. so you've got a bit of work to do, but otherwise it's uh, it's all tracking well. So wow. on with the show. <laughs> Great. Can I just get a Minimum Chips, please? Hello, and welcome to Minimum Chips, a podcast putting the nom 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 back in economics. It's the world of money as seen through the eyes of a comedian and a real-life economist. Oh, did I mention we're brothers too? So there'll be fights. That's right, it is time for Minimum Chips, and joining me as always is the Chief Economist at Integrity Economics, Thomas Kiley. Um, G'day. Pretty sure that's just a title he made up. <laughs> Is that right? You weren't that last week, and now you are. I felt it was appropriate to have a, a name that was befitting of the stature of the podcast. Well, I am now chief comedian here at Minimum <laughs> Chips, and I'll give out the titles. Thank you very much. <laughs> Today on the show, we want to talk about interest rates. Now, interest rates are seemingly at all-time lows. Tom, is that right? Definitely the official interest rates, yeah. Probably haven't seen anything like this in a long time, if ever. The official cash rate is obviously tightly linked to that. And my understanding is the cash rate is bottom of the barrel, right? It can't go any lower. That's right. The RBA has said that, that they can't go beyond 0.25%. And that's Impossible. where we're at now. Impossible. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't really understand the reasons why. There's a bunch of technical reasons. <laughs> You're the chief economist at Integrity Economics. Yeah, we're, we're sort of more to... big picture. We don't like to get bogged down in the detail at Integrity Economics. <laughs> no, no. It's 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 a it's about liquidity functioning in the banking sector and the way the cash the overnight cash market works. That I don't know. I've seen. I've seen, it was in a speech that the governor made recently, but it, I felt like a technical detail. It didn't really matter. Point was, can't go lower than zero point two five percent. If if they do, if the RBA puts it below two point two five percent, then it just doesn't. The, the overnight cash rate just doesn't work doesn't do what it's supposed to do i feel like it's like when you ask your parents when you're a kid and you ask your parents for another can of coke when you're at the footy and they're like look i've got no more money and it's mm. like you've got no more money or you've got no more money for me like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know because it can go negative can't it like the cash rate could go uh, it's, yeah, it's theoretically possible, and some countries have played with a negative cash rate. But you kind of once interest rates go from positive to minus, you kind of start messing with the fabric of space time a bit. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's, really? it's nasty. Yeah, just opens wormholes. Just it does mess my it does mess my head in because to in my my simple brain is like if we go into negative interest rates then that means people need to start paying me somehow i don't know how it works but i feel like interest mm. rates as they are at the moment and when they're positive means that i borrow money and then i have to pay back 
people a bit of extra money for them letting me borrow the money. What happens when they go negative? Does the bank start paying me? Uh, that would theoretically be the case. But if you're talking about negative interest rates, you're talking about the overnight cash rate. So right. not mortgage rates. You're not really looking at negative mortgage rates. Right, we, haven't, okay. we haven't seen the world experiment with that kind of madness. The cash rate that the RBA sets at point two five or whatever is tightly mm. coupled to interest rate. But not one for one and not always one for one. So the, so the RBA's the overnight cash rate, so that's the official rate. So when, they, when you hear, see in the news RBA cuts rates by 25 basis points, yeah. what they're doing is they're cutting the overnight cash rate. The overnight cash rate is the rate that they pay banks to put money with the RBA for the RBA to keep overnight so the banks can do their settlement exchanges, settle up their books at the end of each day. So the banks have to keep this money with their RBA. It's a legal obligation. Right. And so the bank pays them the bare minimum that it has to because it's they, they don't have to really pay anything effectively, but they pay something. And that effectively works as the lowest rung in the interest rate ladder because there's absolutely no risk associated with it. It's super short term. From there, as you go up, in terms of riskiness in lending, yeah, you get you start adding on uh, rungs in the ladder. So a mortgage is then another two percentage points higher than that. For example, you go for a car loan, that's another four percent higher than that. You go for a personal loan, then you're looking at twelve percent. You're going for construction finance, and you're looking at twenty percent, right. and it goes up in proportion to risk. Yeah. But that overnight cash rate that the RBA sets, that's like your, that's like the foundational interest rate. So when the RBA changes that, then that when it changes that foundational level, it filters through the rest of the economy, through the rest of the interest rate schedule in the economy. And so that's why that's why the banks talk about passing on the rate cut or not, or because that's they're right. doing doing the maths mm. and. Yeah going do we want to make this cheaper for people or is that going to hurt us or what yeah that's right that's right so it's not so it's a big factor what in the banks thinking about where they set mortgage rates but it's mm. not the only factor what other factors are there probably the big one is the what you call the cost of capital mm. sounds exciting <laughs> yeah we <laughs> all oh, oh you got me <laughs> i'm hooked <laughs> Yes, cost of capital. Cost of capital. So the, so the banks borrow money to lend to you. So they either borrow it from their depositors, so the people who keep money in their po deposits with them, or they borrow it from the money markets. But all of that money they have to lend out to, in mortgages costs them money. Right. And that cost of capital, the cost of that money can go up and down depending on what's going on in the money market. Do you have any, any sense of the percentage that it affects it? The cash rate at the RBA, is that making, like, is that sort of making up... 90% of the interest rate figures that the banks offer, how much of a contributing factor is the cash rate versus the COC, the cost of capital? You see what <laughs> That's not an acronym. We don't use that. It is now. <laughs> it is now. Oh, dude. Just had to juice it up somehow, didn't oh, we? Oh, God. <laughs> Even I wanted to stop listening to the podcast and I'm recording it. it, it the, the thing is, it varies with the cycle. So... What banks do is they set your interest rates, but their cost of capital can vary day to day, you know, and they borrow short to lend long. And so what they've got to try and do is, is average it out and kind of hit the mark across time. So how much official interest rates influence it shifts day to day. So it's not an, it's not an easy question to answer and kind of not the right way to think about it. <laughs> 
Don't tell me how to think. <laughs> do you reckon we'll ever see interest rates fluctuate in the same way that petrol prices do? Do you reckon we'll ever see, like given the money markets are changing all the time, or is that bad marketing for the industry to be like, we can only tell you what the interest rate, the variable rate's going to be today. Do you know what I mean? Like, Because like, that's oil prices, right? And oil prices mm. went negative. Yeah, they did. They did. Is that something that could happen? It doesn't, I, don't know if it really, I don't even know if it matters. Like probably, If you look at like the average mortgage rate, Hmm. like across all banks in all sectors that probably fluctuates around quite a lot day to day yeah and banks have certain targets that they're looking to hit certain growth rates and so they'll they'll relax their rates or they'll let the mortgage brokers know that they're looking to do more lending what the what the average loan is getting any given day probably does jump around like petrol prices Hmm. Um, but it's not something that you 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 see as a consumer all this talk of interest rates i know you fixed your interest rate recently Mm. and that in turn got me thinking about whether I should be considering doing the same thing. So I guess I'd, I'd be interested to know, one, your thinking around why why you thought it was good for you to fix. What what was driving that decision? Yeah, um, we probably should say at this point that my, my decision was based on my personal circumstances and mm. my personal financial goals and objectives. And uh, anyone listening to this should be aware that, that whatever they're hearing is not taking into account their personal goals and financial objectives. And before thinking about that, you should uh, consult a professional financial planner or mortgage broker. So again, you're not going to tell me whether I should or shouldn't, are you? <laughs> no, no, I'm an economist. I like to hedge my bets. <laughs> you're just like Google when I typed in, should I fix my interest rate? It was, it was just a sea of uh, inconclusiveness. But anyway, what was, what was yeah. your thinking around it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like I've never, never really considered fixing interest rates. Why not? Well, uh, the the general sort of vibe that a lot of people say, and I think like the barefoot investors made this point a few times, is that you're kind of taking a bet with the banks. That you're betting that you've got a better idea of where rates are going to go over the next two years than they do. Right. And so you're willing to fix because you think you're going to be in the money by fixing relative to letting the variable rate do its thing. But the banks always always have more information than, than you do and they always have a a bigger perspective than you do and so it's you it's a risky bet to be taking because banks aren't in the in the habit of taking bets that they're going to lose and so so that's sort of why that's sort of the the argument that the barefoot investor makes and i can i can see the logic of that what i think was interesting in this period is you've got a huge spread between fixed rates and variable rates so with the bank i was looking at just you know, just to keep this focus on my personal circumstances, I was looking at a variable rate of 3.05 um, and got offered a, ver- a fixed rate of 2.29. You were getting hosed on your variable, that's why. Well, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> God, can't believe I'm asking you for advice. <laughs> no, I know. Like, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, yeah. there's, and there's other factors. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm with the local credit union that's local to my area and I like to support them. So I'm not, I, rates isn't the only factor that's driving my financial decision. Yeah, and there's not really much better out in the market. You can, you can get a few pips, but nothing hugely different. The point is that there's a, you, never, you don't normally see that kind of spread. You don't see you know, 70 po- basis points between the fixed and the, and the variable rate in, in normal times. That's a 
that's a that phenomenon is particular to the crisis. Right. So I was going to ask. Yeah. Is this is this the coronavirus? Is this the banks kind of going? We want some certainty. Fixing doesn't mm. fixing doesn't just fix your rate. It fixes you to the bank. So yeah, they, yeah. They, there's there's certainty for them in it, which I imagine mm. at the moment is pretty attractive, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, with uh, high quality borrowers, they'd be looking yeah looking to you know improve the overall quality of their their mortgage book. But I also think that they saw the writing on the wall that the RBA saying rates are just going low and lower and the RBA is going to come in and support liquidity in the long end of the market and keep government borrowing down. And if the RBA is saying they can't go any lower, then I don't know, I think that. But you never know too, I guess. You know, you always hear that. Can't go any lower. People were saying that at 6%. Oh, it's not going to go any lower than this. (laughs) (laughs) Never in a million years. I mean, I I think it does seem very, very unlikely now that official interest rates are going to go lower given that there are theoretically a number of problems that start to happen with negative interest rates like once you flip that equation and start charging money to store money with people Mm. like that kind of like the the whole sort of flow dynamics in economics starts to reverse and the warp drive fails (laughs) (laughs) just gets a bit weird so like and the rba hasn't signaled that they've got any interest in taking rates into negative territory so yeah official rates don't seem doesn't seem like there's much prospect for them to go negative or go any lower from where they are now right um and so that's sort of the, the question then becomes looking at the bank's cost of capital and the margins the that they yeah the cock mm-hmm. yeah get that and yeah and the margins that they make on the loan so like they've got a part of the, the interest cost the money they get from the interest payments goes towards the costs associated with providing you with the loan and they're not huge but they're not negligible either so they're not they're not nothing either so there's there's always going to be a bit of a buffer between official interest rates and mortgage rates it needs they need the banks need to be compensated for the risk they need to cover the costs of providing the mortgage yeah sure and they got to turn mm. a profit and they got to turn a profit yeah exactly yeah they got shareholders they're not, not charities that's right. And if you look and if you look at global context historically, like I did a quick Google search on this, I don't know how definitive it is, but before the COVID crisis hit, the lowest interest mortgage interest rates we ever saw were were in Japan and they were 1.6%. And then the second lowest in history I think was in Norway and they were 2%. So you quickly get up to you know, when I when I was being offered fixed rates of 2.29%, for it to be much lower than that was getting into lowest interest rates in the world ever territory. So the, so the question that I was starting to think about was like, well, how likely is that? How likely are mortgage rates in Australia going to go into the lowest interest rates in history ever territory? Yeah. A way I think about it, it's sort of like a balance of risks question. And, and this is why it's a personal thing and why, why you can't offer definitive advice and why two dudes on the internet shouldn't be offering <laughs> definitive <laughs> advice to random people. And we're not, let's make that clear. Yeah. We, we're not not, not, only should, that. not only should we not, <laughs> we're not. But it's, 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 a, it's a balance of risks kind of proposition and, and how you balance those risks is really personal. It's really about your risks appetite, your financial goals and objectives, your tolerances for, for certain scenarios. So it's a yeah. very personal question. We talked about this prior to the show and really what we want to do with this podcast is to try and just give some of the context around what makes the money markets tick, what, what are the driving factors around interest rates, what are the driving factors around the cash rate and that kind kind of thing so absolutely do your own do your own research and your your own investigation in your own circumstance certainly don't take tom's word for it he's paying way too much on his variable for a start um 
but just just coming just coming back to that spread, the the other interesting thing with that large would. spread. Yeah, but the interesting thing about the spread is that for me to be out of the money, like or for anyone to be out of the money who fixes rates now, variable rates need to move a very long mm. way in a relatively short period of time. So personally, I fix for two years. It's sort of normally one, two, or three years. They're your mm. options. So to to be out of the money, variable interest rates need to move a long way south of where you fix within the time frame that you yeah. fix and no one and no one can predict it i mean if anyone could predict what interest rates were going to do no. then that'd be a multi-millionaire i imagine so Mm-mm. you know having been a mortgage holder for a few years now and yeah you know, even when they seemed like every quarter there was an announcement the rate was going to be cut it was only by like point bugger all Defy. and then and then the banks don't often didn't pass that on in full anyway so as you say mm. if you got a spread of 0.7 or something then mm. that's like three quarters in a two-year period that's how i that's how i think of it yeah, normally normally you would expect 0.75. That's three. That's three official rate cuts. Normally that's at least a year to eighteen yeah. months. Normal in in normal times. So yeah, and and these are very unusual times. So there's there's absolutely no certainty in the in the market at the moment. So what I do want to ask you about is you mentioned a rate of 2.29, and I'm just on the on a bank website at the moment. They're offering 2.29 percent. Mm. Fixed, but the comparison rate is 4.04%. Mm. Why on earth? Like my understanding of the comparison rate is it's used as a tool so that you can go between lenders and say, well, they're off- one lender's offering this, another lender's offering this, but the comparison rate is the one that tells you it's like the great equalizer. It's the one that says this is how you can compare the products. But how on earth can there be a rate of 2.29 and a comparison rate of 4%? Yeah, but to think about how the comparison rate's constructed, it assumes a 25-year loan, $150,000 mortgage, and then whatever fees and charges are attached to that loan over that. Right, so even though the loan is only two years, like fixed, they have to give Mm. you the rate, the effective rate, assuming you're not going to jump ship at the end of that fixed period and go hunting for a Mm. better variable rate. You're just going to stay on whatever they've put you on. (laughs) Um, And so that's where that figure comes from. So it's not necessarily, you're not going to be paying an effective rate of 4% in the first two years or that two year period of fixed. Because that's always, that was always what scares me a bit Mm. about looking at fixed rates and, and then you see the comparison rate and it's like, whoa, because generally speaking with variable, that same lender, comparison rate on the variables, they're offering 2.84 variable with a 3.04% comparison rate on that variable. So that's only like 02 difference mm, which mm, you can kind mm, of go well that's probably mm. just fees and charges and whatever that comes into it yeah so yeah it does assume the f- a full 25 year loan so yeah she tries mm. to standardize the, the product the interest rate product to a standard loan so you can compare that but it, i mean it, it is interesting that it's it's a bit dated now because you were talking about a hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollar mortgage like that doesn't buy you into a capital city anywhere in australia no. these days it, it, it is a bit dated um and because it's a small loan amount it does mean that fees and charges have a are overweight in the equation right. and who sets that or who sets it is that the government that sets that yeah 150 yeah, year thing that everyone has to adhere yeah. to banks must hate yeah, that yeah they must be like can we put, can we put the comparison rate in like eight point italics down <laughs> I remember the comedian Arj Barker talking about needing a sarcasm font. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> the banks must wish there was some sort of comparison rate font. Comparison rate 4.02, <laughs> lol. 
I mean, the comparison rate's interesting because I, I think like the comparison rates are a bit useless in and of themselves now because they are dated. So they have limited usefulness right. to, to the individual, but they've had a good impact on the industry right. overall because I think banks used to leverage off the confusion around interest rates. So you don't, you don't see things like honeymoon rates so much yeah, anymore. Okay. So banks would offer 2% interest rate, headline interest rate, and oh, but after the honeymoon period, it jumps up to nine yeah, right. percent. So people go, oh, two percent—that looks amazing. And then they go, oh, hang on, but after the honeymoon, it jumps up. And then there's like you know a dozen different fees and charges, and it it felt like it was a confusopoly. Like the banking industry was setting out <laughs> to make that, it as confusing is that as an possible. Economic term, a confusopoly. Is <laughs> is. Uh, Scott Adams, the, the oh, Dilbert right. cartoonist, came up with it, and I think and I think right. it's a great it's a great description of an industry that gets together to make the products as confusing yeah, as okay. possible in order to confuse customers and disempower customers in the transaction. Yeah. And I think the the accusation was leveled at the banks that that's what they were doing with mortgage rates. They were you know you have honeymoon rates and then you have all these different fees and charges, so it became very practically impossible for a layperson to mm. compare interest rates. And so with the, what the comparison rate did is it kind of in filtering it that out, they, they stopped playing all of those games right. and the, the market itself became more accessible for people like us to sort of like look at different interest rates and make a reasonably informed decision. Yeah. So in that sense, I think my, maybe not so great for, you know, exactly for the point, purpose of comparing right now. But for what it, the effect has had on the industry, I think has been good. Wasn't great for the, uh, the sanctity of marriage and and selling the dream of marital bliss either, was it? Where you get a really good honeymoon rate, and then it all, then it all gets really costly and expensive. There's <laughs> 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 all these surprises you didn't factor in when you signed up. Yeah, that's right. You go to your bank manager. What? It's nine percent. <laughs> that's, that's life. life. <laughs> Welcome to marriage. <laughs> so. Obviously, you know, we've got the big four in Australia, the big four banks. There's a lot of little banks popping up. There's a, you know, there's a company in Adelaide called TikTok who are doing some good things. Um, you know, there's... With the movies. With the movies. Yeah. <laughs> they are killing it on Instagram. They killing are just... It. Everyone's sharing their videos. I don't know what it's got to do with lending. But um, there's other ones like Athena and these kind of smaller, seemingly smaller lenders popping up now. Are there any risks or any concern going with these sort of newer companies my understanding is that they're kind of like you know they're saving on some of the admin overhead by using technology to kind of cut out some of the red tape around the cost of the loan so therefore they can do it a bit cheap like i guess i'm thinking you know if i if i'm looking at at my home loan and do i change banks and maybe go change lenders you know what happens if they fall over like is there any risk to that do we um do i get a free house <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty. I feel like I'm pretty on pretty solid ground when I say you're not going to end up with a free house in any conceivable scenario. Well, what happens to my like? I'm. I, I borrowed some money from you, right? Mm. Like, let's say, let's play this out. So mm. I borrow some money from you to buy uh, some iced coffee. You say that'll be. Um, you know, I'll lend you the five dollars for the iced coffee if you mm. give me six dollars after you've had it. I'll be like, yeah, mm -hmm. cool. So I go buy the iced coffee, you get hit by a bus while I'm out and I'm like, score, free iced coffee. <laughs> yeah, so what would happen in, in to torture this metaphor to get it into the... <laughs> 
bank into some sort of semblance of a banking industry yeah. is that the administrators who would come in to wind up my affairs would take the debt that you owe me and Mom sell and that. Mum and dad strike again. Yeah. They're back. <laughs> no, they, they, and they would sell it to somebody else. And that's what happens with the mortgage. So your mortgage is a financial product and it can right. be bought and sold. That's how they get you. That's how they get you, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so if if a bank collapsed, all the mortgages would be would be bundled up and sold onto someone else, and you would find that your someone else would just buy your mortgage, and you would now owe your money to Westpac or whoever. So there's there's no there's no free house, no. Yeah. But that also means you know, so there's no huge upside gain, but there's also not a huge downside with borrowing money from a small lender. The regulations of, of the banking sector in Australia is pretty solid on a global scale. You're not going to have, you know, total shonks and sharks in the market. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's there's nothing nothing to say that small is necessarily bad. All right. So finally, just Nick hit us up on our Facebook page, the Minimum Chips Podcast Facebook page. And he was asking about banks offering mortgage holidays, kind of saying that it seems like banks are getting a good rap for this. Um, but maybe it's not such a good thing. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, they did get a bit of kudos, and, and it did seem that the government stepped in here and and coordinated this with the banks. Um, so yeah, so giving people six month deferral, three months with the subject to another three months with a review seems to be the vibe with most banks. If you go if you go with an economic hardship story, you can say the banks will give you three months off with another three months afterwards potentially. But the interest that you've missed gets capitalized into your mortgage. So you need to pay it back over the remainder of your loan term, which means that your minimum payments will increase somewhat depending on, on how much you've missed and, and how much left you've got in your loan. So they'll increase from what they were now. Like say my, my fortnightly repayment is $2,000 mm. after the mortgage holiday. It's such a good name. It's someone in marketing. Yeah. Up with that. <laughs> mortgage holiday, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like money you borrow yeah. to pay for your Fiji yeah. and get away. So after the mortgage holiday, if I was paying two thousand dollars before it, I'm going to be paying like maybe something like whatever it is, two thousand one hundred. Yeah, something. probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, possibly not even that much. But yeah, yeah, right. that much. So the banks aren't aren't losing out, and so they could have they could have frozen it. They could have like just said, "Oh, we're just going to treat this six months as like it doesn't exist, and you just pick it up again in six months." Which would that would have you know that would have been a better deal for borrowers the mm. banking industry's argument is that if it did that the the banks though those loans would be classified as impaired and impaired loans need more capital allocated to them so the banks have to keep more money in-house in order to deal with these potential impaired loans and that limits mm. how much they can spend how much they can lend and how much profit they're making and it sounds, it sounds oh, tough times oh, really my heart goes <laughs> My heart goes out to the, yeah. the poor banks. Fiji on a mortgage holiday with our money. <laughs> I mean, and and this and it does sound like a bit of a cop out because, like the 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 capital that they're required to keep, that's something that's set by the government. It's set by APRA. APRA sets rules around how much money they need to keep against impaired loans. APRA, I, I don't I don't know the ins and outs. Australian professional recording artists. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that the- <laughs> Song of the year. Yeah, get in everywhere. Yeah. 
right. cultural Marxism gone mad. Yeah, you know, APRA is the, the, the body that overse- oversees the banks, the banking regulator. Yeah, I, <laughs> you don't have to tell me who APRA is, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so they're, they're the right. ones setting the impairment rules, like how much money you need to keep aside for impairment. So I, I, it's, I find it hard to imagine that there isn't a reason why APRA could just go, oh, yeah, for the next six months, don't worry about it. Anyway, that was the excuse that was offered. I don't know if it's technically sound enough. It's, it sounds a little weak to me. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's good. It's great for if people can't afford the mortgage. It's definitely better than, you know, defaulting on their loans and losing the house. Definitely a big improvement on that. Could they have gone further? Yeah, of course. Maybe, maybe. So with that, uh, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Don't forget, you can uh, you can find us on Facebook on the Minimum Chips podcast. Yeah, I'm off now to go and uh, check out podcast self-assessment <laughs> again, I think. And <laughs> I'm already there. <laughs> we'll be back again next week. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial or investment decisions, and do your own research.